to Matthew chapter 22. I know that people today get um, pretty pretty paranoid about the weather, um, like the sky is falling. And so we wake up on April the 3rd and we see all this snow and we think, oh, April's were never like this. Well, Clyde told me that uh, his dad told him that they could 86 years ago on this day when Clyde was born, he said that his dad was afraid he wasn't going to be able to get to the hospital because there was so much snow. So, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> don't worry. Don't panic, anybody. We're fine. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 22, and then we're going to go to Romans 8, uh, Romans 13, and 1 John 4, if you'd like to get ahead of the, of the thing. But Matthew 22 with me to verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, saying, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, help us now, we ask, as we come to listen to you giving us the two great commandments. And as we seek to then obey you and go out and do them, we just pray, Father, that you will help us. Help us as we understand what this means. Help us to to give, find grace from you to do the hard things. Help us, we pray. Open our eyes. Teach us. Help our hearts to be in the right place. Help us to even see neighbors that we, didn't, we don't really account as a neighbors. Help us to really see needs like you did. Give us grace, we pray. Lead us and guide us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus has come to inaugurate the kingdom of God on the earth. He's come to inaugurate that. He's, he's, he's sent the kingdom. And I love the song we just sang because it says, heaven opened up and flooded this love upon us. And that's exactly what has happened. God has flooded his love upon us in sending his son, sending his son to go to the cross, sending his son to give us eternal life. And then we get a new heart. And then with that new heart, God gives us new life. And we, and we move from that. And this is a kingdom of love. It is a kingdom of love. That's what Jesus has inaugurated. It's coming from the, it's, it's tied in with the old covenant because notice our text. They're asking him about the Old Testament law. What is the great commandment in the Old Testament law? And he gives them two. He, he gives them two. Both of them are direct quotes from the Old Testament. And yet in the new covenant, in the new covenant, things are expanded and things are deepened and things are brought to the forefront that weren't brought to the forefront in the old covenant. And the big one is love. Jesus has, has, has established the kingdom of love. The kingdom of love has come down to earth. And it's a kingdom where we're to love God with all that we are. We're to love our neighbors, ourselves. We're to love others. We're to even love our enemies. We're to turn the other cheek. We're to, if we see a need, we're to, to seek to help it. And this is the kingdom of love. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the second commandment that he's given here. We're going to look at this under three headings and then an application. 
The first heading is, is the love of neighbor defined? The love of neighbor defined. The second one is the love fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. And the third one is, why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? And then we're going to give some applications as to how uh, we can work this thing out in our lives. So notice here, they asked Jesus in verse 36, what is the great commandment? And he gives them that. Love God with everything you've got. But then he throws in a second commandment uh, because he is, he's helping them to understand our duty before God and man. And so in verse 39, he directly quotes from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. A, a chapter, by the way, that talks about different ways that we're to treat our neighbor, how we're to help, not cheat, not lie, not steal, even don't even harvest all of our fields, leave some there for, for the poor to glean. And he says this. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now let's pause here for a second because there's a lot of fuzzy thinking out there. A lot of fuzzy thinking about something as simple as this. You're, and there's so many podcasts now. Oh, I, I love podcasts and hate them. Um, everybody who has a computer, a computer now that has a camera is an expert on something. And, and, and so beware. Have, have podcast wisdom. But there's a lot of podcasts out there, and one of them, uh, some of them will say something like this. Uh, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what is that selling us? Well, first of all, Jesus is telling us we really need to love ourselves. <laughs> they, they, they take the entire commandment and flip it right on his head till it becomes this entire podcast on how to love yourself. Jesus is not using, did not take that commandment to say, you really need to love yourself, and so we really need to work on loving yourself. That is not what is being said here at all. In fact, in fact, that's not what this means. Jesus is assuming you know how to love yourself. He's assuming. Now, when Jesus is saying love yourself, Jesus is not picturing in his head you standing in front of a mirror, smiling and taking pictures of yourself in that mirror to put on Facebook. Okay, that's not what Jesus is thinking here when he's thinking loving yourself. All right. And when, for instance, when in, in Ephesians, when it tells husbands, husbands, love your wives as yourself. Love your wives as your own body. That is not saying, husbands, you're an egotist, and so, you know, no, that's not what this means. That's not what this means. What this means is, is to love ourselves means that we have a real concern for ourselves and our well-being, okay? And what Jesus is saying is extend that. So if you could have a definition, and, and, and loving neighbor as self is, is very broad. You're going to spend the rest of your life, if you become sensitized to this by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be applying this all over for the rest of your life. But if, if you could sort of summarize it, let me give something that might help you. I'll give you a definition. It's to have a genuine concern for the well-being of another person. To have a genuine Concern for the well-being of another person, that's half of it, and then do what you can to promote that well-being. I think that's what Jesus is getting at, to have a genuine concern for the well-being of another person and then to do what needs to be done to promote that person's, to further that person's well-being. See, we naturally love ourselves. And what, what Jesus means by that, again, isn't selfies or egotism, he means this. When I'm hungry, I go find some food. I need food. 
When I'm tired, I said, I need to lay down and take a nap. When I'm thirsty, I need some water. When I, when I hit my finger with a hammer, I'm like, ow, I'm in pain. Ow, oh, ow. I need sympathy. What, if, if I don't have any money, I need money. And what I do is I, when I have these needs, then I have a genuine concern for myself. I go meet these needs. And what loving your neighbor as yourself is to work out is this. When he's hungry, I feed him. When she's thirsty, I give her a, a, a cup of water. When he's tired, I, I help relieve his burden. When he's out of money, I reach in my pocket and give him some. I have a genuine concern for the well-being of those around me, and I act in such a way to promote that. Now, some Jesus was asked once, well, who is my neighbor? And uh, one of the reasons he was asked that is, is that in the original language here, neighbor means a person who's near you, a person who's near you. And, and some people uh, you know, could even say, well, who's my neighbor? You're asking a lot of me here, so who's my neighbor? Is it the guy who lives, uh, obviously it's the guy who lives next door to me. He's my next door neighbor. But how about the guy who lives the next door after him? Is he my neighbor? And then, of course, Jesus told the amazing parable of the Good Samaritan, where the Samaritan, who, uh, who is actually a Samaritan, an enemy of Jews, sees a, a, a Jewish man, and he helps him out. And he, he goes the extra mile for him. And so your neighbor is whoever God brings into your orbit of life, whether it's physically or you become aware of a need or something like that, that's who our neighbor is. And this is our duty. This is what God expects from us. Just like yesterday, last week we said, God expects me to live my life in such a way that my entire life is an expression of love for God. And if I do that, I succeed. And if I don't do that, your life is a failure, even if you make millions of dollars and you're the most popular person in the world. Well, the same thing is true in this. What does God expect from me in this world? He expects me to have this genuine concern and for the well-being of others as much as I do for myself. That's what God expects. And by Jesus saying that, it ties into something else that Jesus said as well. You could sort of link these two together. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, Jesus said this. We saw this earlier. It's called the, the golden rule. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. Now notice again, this is one of those summary statements. You look at somebody and you say, if I was in their place, what would I want me to do? If I was in their place, how would I want me to respond? And Jesus said, that is how we're to be going through life. What is genuinely concerned for this person? And if I was in this person's place, what would I want me to do right now? That, Jesus said, is the, that's the radar that we should have around us all the time as we're, as we're focusing on people. This is what God wants. And so you see, you see, God is a God of love. And God has created us, and he says, I want you to love. I love, I want you to love. I want you to love me with all that you are, and I want you to love each other. And I want you to have this genuine concern for one another. And that's actually the fulfillment of the law. Notice what it says here in verse 40. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. The entire Old Testament, all that God has revealed in the Old Covenant, all of it is summarized in this. Love God and love your neighbors yourself. And this became the DNA, as it were, of the early church. The apostles, they, they got this. 
They got this. This became the actual atmosphere and the DNA of the early church. This is the way they taught. We're going to rush through it. And Ben, are you doing the verses? The next one, we're going to boom, 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 boom. The next four or five. Listen, just listen. What we're going to put up on the board is Jesus speaking, Paul speaking, James speaking, John speaking, and Peter speaking. And what I want you to do is just follow the, the similar theme and how this love ethic became their DNA. This is the world they lived in. This is the movement that they were involved in. John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. This is the revolution that he's starting, the revolution of love, if you have love for one another. Then Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 13, For all of the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Then James wrote, the apostle, he says this, if, any, if you've really fulfilled the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Notice he calls it the royal law of the scriptures. Then John wrote this, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us the commandment. Then Peter wrote this. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now look at the next verse. Having been born again. This is what it means to be born again. Not of the corruptible but incorruptible seed uh, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. And so you see, this was in their very DNA. Now I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's found on page 1306. Romans chapter 13, because here the Apostle Paul links together and shows us in, a, in more detail than any other place that love is the fulfillment of the law. And the same thing that Jesus means when he says, on, the, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So if you look with me to Romans 13 and verse 8, notice what it says. Owe no one anything except to love one another. He who loves another has fulfilled the law. So there it is again, rephrased again. We've seen it five times now already in the scriptures. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now look at verse 10. Love does no harm. Some of your Bibles say wrong. Some of your Bibles can say bad or evil. Love doesn't do bad stuff. Love doesn't do harm. Love doesn't do wrong to a neighbor. You don't, if you love somebody, you don't wrong them. You don't harm them. You don't do bad to them. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, notice what he's saying. He's saying that in, it, rather than saying, these are the Ten Commandments, keep them, and if you don't keep them, you're going to go to hell. That's not the approach that he's taking. That's not the approach that the apostles take, that Jesus took. The approach is love that person, be genuinely concerned for their well-being, and you'll keep the commandments. You'll keep it. You won't hate them. You won't backbite them. You won't slander them. You don't slander people you love. 
You, you, you protect and you preserve their reputation and such. If you disagree with somebody you love, you don't want to strangle them. You don't, you don't, you don't kill them. You don't, you don't start war against them. You just say, hey, we agree to disagree, but I love you because you're precious to me and you're special. That's how all marriages hang in there for years. But look at the first one that he picked. Isn't that an interesting one? Look at verse 9. You shall not commit adultery. Now, in our world, we are so screwed up that we think that when two people love one another and consummate that love in, a, in the intimate union uh, that we're talking about here, that's legitimate even if they're married to different people because they love them. Here, Paul is saying that if you love somebody, you won't commit adultery with them. You won't. If you love them, you will not commit adultery with them. Why? What is he thinking here? Well, let's, let's, let's work this out. Number one, if a man commits adultery with a woman, he has immediately put her under the wrath of God. It's a sin. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And he has immediately robbed her husband. And he certainly hasn't kept the, t the golden rule, has he? Would he want somebody to commit adultery with his wife? Is he genuinely concerned about her husband? If he was genuinely concerned about the well-being of her husband, he wouldn't take his, his wife. He is going to shame her before her parents, shame her before her children, and destroy a marriage. A loving person doesn't do that. If he commits adultery, he's going to destroy and hurt and, and break the heart of his wife. A loving person doesn't do that. If he has genuine concern for his wife, if he wants to treat his wife as he would like to be treated, he wouldn't sit there and say, oh, yeah, go ahead, commit adultery. I'm cool with that. He's going to shame his parents. He's going to shame his children. He's going to sin against God. But if love is motivating him, and she even comes to him and says, I, I would like to commit adultery with you. And he genuinely cared about her well-being, her husband's well-being, her children's well-being, her parents' well-being. And he loves God with all of his heart. He's going to say, no, ma'am. No, that's not what's best for you. That's not what's best for anybody. That's not, no. Look at, look at another one. Look at another one. He says here at the very last one, you will not covet. If you love your neighbor, you will not covet. Now, we sometimes think of coveting because we have Amazon and we have, you know, internet buying and everything. We, we tend to think of coveting, which it is, is like, oh, I got to buy, I got to buy, I got to buy, I need more, I need more, I got to buy, I got to shop until I drop. We, yeah, 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 that's it. But actually, when the, when the commandment of coveting was actually given in the, in the Old Testament, it says this. You shall not covet, and the first thing it says is your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet his servants. You shall not covet his money. In other words, coveting was linked in there with envying somebody and wanting what they have and wishing you had what they have and hating them because you don't have it. And that's why Paul says love does not envy. Love does not envy. If you love somebody, if you love somebody, you won't covet what they have. You won't envy. Now think about it. Think about how this works out. Think about people that you naturally love. Spouse, children, parents, people that you naturally love. Do you not find that you don't say, for instance, envy them? Because you love them. You don't, you don't have malice. You'll get it. You'll hate them. Oh, they got this. They got that. 
I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I have 11 children, for goodness sakes. All of my children are smarter than me. Now, I've admitted that publicly, and they'll say, Dad, we've been telling you that since we were teenagers, but, uh, <laughs> but, but they're all smarter than me. I'm not smart. I just work hard. That's how I got where I got. I, I, don't, I, I always had to work. In college, I was the guy who had to study. I didn't get A's easily. They're all smarter than me. I don't envy them of that. I rejoice in it. They all have more athletic ability than me. When I was a little kid, and I, if you would have caught me in eighth grade or seventh grade, you would ask me what I was going to be. I was going to be a professional athlete. That's what I was going to be. And then the growth spurt they promised never came. Okay? That was not in, in God's will for me. There was no way I was going to do that. And I have sat for hours and hours and hours, probably a, a whole year uh, or more, uh, if you add it all together, watching my children in, in, in athletics and some of them were extremely good. And I never once envied that. I rejoiced in it. I rejoiced in their athletic ability and the joy that they must have out there doing that. Many of my children make way more money than I make. And in their lifetime, all of them probably will. I don't envy that. I rejoice in that. I'm thankful that they have succeeded. Why? Because I love them. And see, what Jesus is saying here is that we are to extend that to everybody. We are to extend this genuine well-being and concern for the other person in such a way that we won't cover what they have. You wouldn't think about, you, you, you and I, we wouldn't think about hurting our best friend in, in this way or, or envying. If, if our best friend uh, goes out and, 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 and shoots a huge buck. Or our best friend gets a promotion and, and or, or, or what's happening in my life. Now all my best friends are retired. And it's like... I don't envy that. I rejoice with that. I rejoice at the happiness and joy and what God is doing in their lives. And that's what Jesus is. That's what the love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, let's go to our third point then. This is hard. Turn with me to 1 John. This is hard. In fact, my initial reaction to all this is it is way easier to love God than to love people. It is way easier to love God than to love people. Because, first of all, God's perfect. God's, God's great. God's not, it's easy to love God. People are here. God's not irritating. People are. God doesn't disappoint. People do. God's not mean. People are. God doesn't open the car door, their, his car door, while you're sitting in your car and whack your car at a grocery store. People do. God doesn't have bad breath. People do. So loving God is easier than loving people. But the Apostle Paul challenges you. like that, didn't you? The Apostle, Paul, Apostle John challenges us with that. He challenges that. Wait a minute. Slow down, Todd. Hold on. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So here John's sort of, he's sort of turning it a little bit and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I love God, but loving people's hard, and I just can't. He says, wait a minute, you can't quite talk like that. Because if you say you truly love God, but you don't love your brother who you see, then how can you love God who you have not seen? So, wait a second, John. I, you're, I, it's hard to track with you here. 
He says then in verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God, now in the New King James, the word must is in there, but it's, it's italicized. And, and probably in every English translation puts in some kind of verb here uh, to, to make this an imperative. You should. But that's not what the original says. It says something like this, that he who loves God loves his brother also. In other words, not should, but does. Okay? Now, remember where we've come with John in this passage. Look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you are truly been born of God and the spirit of the God of love lives in you, the spirit of love lives in you, then you're going to love. You're going to love. That's what John is saying. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is how you know this vital connection is in here that you will love. Then he, he gives us an example of God's love in 9 and 10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his son to die for us. Okay. Then verse 11, beloved, if we, God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Now notice this. If you have this vital experience of the love of God, where the blood of Christ has cleansed you, where the very Son of God went to the cross for you, where God sacrificed his most beloved Son for you, where the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for you so that you're pardoned and you're forgiven, where on that bloody cross with those nails going through his hand and that bloody cross hanging there, hanging there, dying, that should have been you hanging there, dying. That should have been you and I hanging there for our sins. But Jesus hung in our place as an act of love. God sent his Son. If you have experienced the forgiveness of your sins and justification and this great outpouring of love and a new heart, a heart of love and a new birth and the Holy Spirit within you, you will love. That's what John is saying. You will love. And love is one of the signs of this, okay? And that's why he says in verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love, all right? So then he goes on to say this, back back now to, uh, to verse, 20, uh, verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. So we are responding to God's love. Then he says in verse 20, if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In other words, here is the tangible opportunity to show love, and you don't do that? Don't talk about it. Don't even talk about loving God. Don't even go there because you're not even close. And that's what he's saying here. And so then he says this. We need to love others because of what God has done. Remember the parable Jesus told where the guy owed the king billions of dollars and the king forgives him. And then he walks out and tries to strangle his buddy who owes him a couple thousand dollars. And Jesus in that parable says, bind him, tie him up, and send him off. Uh, until he can pay back every penny. No, we're to love because God loved us. Let me illustrate this for you in my life where I've struggled with this and, and how God has had to show me this and help me. One of the areas that I struggle with in my own personal life, and one of the sins that I've had to struggle with a lot in my life is, is my, my ability to go from righteous anger to sinful anger is like milliseconds. Like if I get angry, my anger, if I get angry, and it might even be righteous anger, that was wrong. That was a violation of God's will. That was against scripture. I immediately within milliseconds go into this selfish anger. And I hate you. And you're bad. And I'll never forgive you. 
And when I start doing that, the Holy Spirit says, Todd, you're, you're being wrong. This is wrong. You're sinning. And the Holy Spirit convinced me of sin. I asked for forgiveness. But then, in order for that not to keep going, I have to then obey the word of God. Pray for my enemies. So if somebody really hurt me, say, for instance, pray for my enemies. Ask God to forgive them. So here's how it works. I go to God and I, I sort of drag myself. Because I don't even want to pray for this person because I don't like them. Because I have sinful anger, not righteous anger. I don't like them. I drag myself into my, 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 my place of devotions. Get myself down and say, Todd, you need to obey the Bible. You pray for this person. I'll say, God, please, I, out of obedience to you, I pray. God, please be with this person. Please help them. And your word tells me to pray that you would bless them. Please bless them. Now, you have to fight the temptation at this point. God, help them come to their senses. They're idiots. You know, you, know, you can't do that. You've got to say, God, please bless them. Please help them. Please forgive them. God, I forgive them. Because you tell me if I don't forgive, you don't forgive I forgive them. And I want to ask you, don't hold these sins against them. Just like Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God, please forgive them. So I make myself pray this prayer until the Holy Spirit begins moving my heart. So then what happens to me is I say, God, please forgive them for their, their lies toward me. Please forgive them for their arrogance, God. Please forgive them for the, the, the foolish the, uh, and, and, and sinful things that they're thinking. Please forgive them for the slander that they're spreading. And while I'm going through that, asking God to forgive them and, and extending my forgiveness in order that I don't have this wicked burden upon my heart, the Holy Spirit always says to me, okay, Todd, listen, pause here. Lie. Now, you realize, of course, Todd, don't you, that, I, that the Father has forgiven you for 10,000 lives. The very thing that you are struggling to forgive them for, you have done, and I have forgiven you freely. And I have not lost any affection for you during all of that time, and I have forgotten them, and they're gone. And then I start to realize, wow, God, please forgive them for spreading slander. God, how many times have you spoken and I've forgiven you? God, please, Todd, how many times have you done this? And I have forgiven you. I've forgiven you. They've done it once to you. I've done, you've done it 10,000 times, and I've forgiven you of everyone. I've washed you through the blood of Jesus, and I remember them no more, and I've never lost affection for you. And you know what happens when you do that? God begins to work in your heart. And you begin to love your brethren again. You begin to release and let go. You begin to realize that you are washed in the blood of Christ. And they are washed in the blood of Christ. If they're believers, they are washed in the blood of Christ. And they are forgiven and you are forgiven. And they're sinners and you're a sinner. And you genuinely begin to care for their well-being. Especially if it's believers. I have much harder time when I'm sinned against by believers than when I'm sinned against by, by unbelievers. I expect more from believers. And I was listening to Sinclair Ferguson. He said this in a sermon this week I was listening to that really struck me. He said, if Christ is willing to dwell in them, then you should be willing to dwell with them. And I thought, wow. That kind of blew me away. If Christ is willing to dwell in them, then you should be willing to dwell with them. And so, dear friends, this is an idea of how we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
Now, it gets real practical in the Bible, and this is where we turn to our application. Look at John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. You know John 3.16? Well, 1 John 3.16 is very significant as well. It's kind of interesting. It says this. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. How do we know love? We look at the cross. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brother. But whoever, see, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? You see, dear friends, we're supposed to love other people. And remember I gave you the, the definition? Have a genuine concern for their well-being and then act on it, promote it. And that's what John is saying here. We experience God's love and we should love others the same way we have experienced it from God. And we should act on it. If we see this person is in need, we should act on that need and we should help them. We should simply say to them, what, how can I promote them? What could I do? In James chapter 2, James says the same thing. He says this. Listen to how real practical it gets. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, what we would say today is, I'll pray for you. But do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? You see, dear friends, if I am loving, I'm going to be walking around concerned for the well-being of other people. I'm going to see them. I'm going to notice them. I'm going to be concerned that they have the needs met that I have meet for myself. I'm going to ask, if I was in their place, what would I want me to do? How would I want me to act? And so you see, dear friends, you're probably still sitting there thinking, this is hard. I can't do this. This is hard. And dear friends, it's supposed to be hard. You see... The fruit of the Spirit is love. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, the main first thing the Holy Spirit, as it were, is going to give, is going to, is going to produce fruit in you is love. Now, God, is, God has to bring hard things into our life regularly because that's how we really grow. If God brings somebody who's just absolutely sweet and lovable and just oozes just joy and sweet, lovable kindness and everything, that people's, the person's easy to love. You're like, oh, man, you're amazing. Give me a hug. You're just great. It's when God brings in the unlovable, the mean, the nasty people, the people that you find you want to retaliate against, you want to get them out of your life, the people that you want to hate back. Why? Why, God? Why'd you bring this person in my life? Because I want to teach you about love. And I want you to be powerless. See, God wants you to be powerless in yourself. I'm powerless, God. I can't do this. I can't love this person. They're too unlovable. I don't like them, God. Then you go to God and you say, I have nothing. Help me. I need power from outside myself. I need you. I need you to enable me. I need you to empower me. I need you to help me to forgive. I need you to help me to be genuinely concerned. I need you to change my heart. I need you. Does God ever get you in that position, in that place? 
He's, he, he, that's his, he does that regularly for us. It may not be love. It may be, I need money. I need help. I, I'm discouraged. I'm, whatever. God gets us to the point where we're on our knees and we're saying, God, you've got to help me. Please help me. And then he helps us. And then he pours out his heart, his, 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 his grace and his strength on it. And he will do it. And I'm going to tell you something. If you have people in your life that you don't love right now or you find very, very difficult to love, bring it to God. Ask God to transform. Don't ask God to change them. Now, they may need some changing, but, but, but leave that to God. Ask God to change you. And I'm going to tell you something. For me, it doesn't normally work like this. Oh, God, this person is driving me nuts. Help me not to strangle them. Help me to love them. I can't love them. I don't even like them. Help me. Oh, I just love this person. <laughs> Come over. I, that, that, that never happens to me. That never happens to me, kids. That never happens to me. Here's how it happens. God, I'm going to trust you. God, you said that you would help me. Your spirit lives with me. Holy Spirit, transform me and change me and help me to love. And I find that over time, as I wait upon the Lord, my heart begins to soften. And I genuinely, genuinely care about that person's well-being. Sometimes the people I like the least, I pray the most for. And I actually end up caring about them. And it's, it's the love of God. And so let me urge you, come to God when it's hard, and he will help you. He will transform you. Let me say this. Finally, I want to say two things, finally, in closing, a sort of summary statements. Number one, love, the power of this kingdom of God of love is the power. Love is the power that God uses to transform the world. Love. That's the power of Jesus' kingdom to transform the world. And right now our world needs it more than any other time in my life that I've ever known. We are marked in our world today by hatred. We are marked in our world today by instant anger. People get angry instantly. We are marked today in our world by bitterness, by battle lines, by us versus them, no matter what it is. It's us versus them. It's kill or be killed. It's take no prisoners. It's we hate, we hate, we're bitter, we'll protest, we demand, we demand. If you disagree, we're against you. We will cancel you. And dear friends, you know what God wants to do? God wants us, rather than being caught up in that, God wants us to have an explosion, to blow it up by love. To transform it through love. To transform it by grace. Dear ones, you have political opposites in your world. You know why? Because there's very little middle ground anymore in this world. There's, there's everybody's getting into camps and you have political opposites in this world. And your job is to hate your political opposite. That's what everybody tells us. Whatever news service you watch, their job is to give you some news, but mostly to inspire hate against the other news service and the other people there. That's their job. And you, you're, and you know what, dear Clarence Thomas was just in the hospital. Clarence Thomas is a, is a Supreme Court justice, and he was just in the hospital. And there were awful things, awful things by those who don't like Clarence Thomas's views and opinions. They're hoping that he would die, hoping that he was sick, hoping that somebody would pull it, you know, would, would, would give him an injection. Horrible things were being said about this man. And dear one, you need to understand, we need to understand that those who are political opposites to you, they may have really crazy ideas, and those ideas may even be dangerous, but they're people. They're people made in the image of God. They have families. They have fears. They're going to die. They're going to be in eternity somewhere. We need to love them. 
homosexual people, transgender people, all in the news. We all have to agree we're supposed to root when men, when, when, men beat, beat women in races and things like that. I, I get all that. that. That's all silly. But dear friends, we need to enter into, we need to be genuinely concerned for homosexual people. We need to be genuinely concerned for transgender people. Genuinely enter into their confusion and to their loneliness and to their pain and, 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 and care about the fact that, that there's an astronomically high percentage of them who take their own lives or who live very depressed lives. Dear ones, we need to love. We need to be genuinely concerned. How about people of different races and cultures? People of different races and cultures, they, 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 they're, they're different. They, they respond differently because they're different cultures or they look differently or they act differently. Dear friends, we can't let that divide us and, and highlight that. We need to genuinely love and, and enter into understand and enter into other people's experiences and genuinely care for their well-being. Secularists, Marxists even. We got the new Marxist going who's, if their plans succeed, will bring immense suffering in this world. But I want to take you back to the USSR. I want to take you back to the Soviet Union. I want to take you back to when Marxists were in charge. And they arrested and tortured and imprisoned our fellow believers, especially us, the Baptistic-type people. And I remember one of those martyrs who had been four years in an underground prison cell and had not seen the light of day for four years. I remember once when he said to one of his Marxist jailers, you can take away my freedom, you can take away my wife, you can take away my children, you can take away my health, you can take away my future in this earth, but you can't take away my ability to love you. To love you. That's the transforming power of love. It could be unruly teens. I was driving down the road once, in Greenville, and these three teenage boys were walking across the street. They weren't in the, the, the lines where they were supposed to be. They were walking across the street, and they had it going, man. They had the swagger going. They had the hat. They had the dude. They, they had the jeans down here. They had it all. <clears throat> and they were intentionally walking slowly to show me, we're in control, man. You ain't. And... Wicked Sinful Todd's initial reaction was to hit the gas pedal, <laughs> beat the horn, pull out a gun and just wave it. <clears throat> and then they, they got on the sidewalk and I drove down the road and as what happens, because I'm such a slow learner, the Holy Spirit says, you're an idiot. That was you 50 years ago. And probably on that street. And I said, oh God, you're right. That was me. God, have mercy on God save them. God turn their heart. God be with them. And my heart began to warm up to them. And I went and did my, do, uh, my job. And then when I came back, one of them was walking down. He was on the sidewalk this time. And I looked over at him, and I genuinely loved him. I even waved to him. I genuinely loved him. Dear ones, we need to be different. We need to be people of love. And then I'm going to conc conclude with just this last encouragement. Don't Wait to be loved. Love. It is not your responsibility to be loved. It is not your call to be loved. It is not our duty to be loved. It is our duty to love. 
So many people wait to be loved before they'll love. Parents will say, my kids never call me, so I'm not calling them. Don't wait for your kids to call them. They're too busy. Put yourself back. Put yourself back in their shoes. You know, I have kids that are in their 20s and their 30s who have babies and they're getting very little sleep and they're trying to, they're trying to pay bills and everything. I'm not going to sit around and wait for them to call me because I want to tell you something. I didn't call my parents back then. I was just trying to manage and th keep things going. Call them. Don't wait for your parents to call you. Call them. Don't wait for your friends to call you. Call them. It is not your job to be loved. It is your job to love. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. Is that what I heard over here? Amen. Because he first loved us. Be the person who loves. And let me encourage you as church members. Let me encourage you as a church, church members. I will sometimes hear this in church. Nobody talks to me. Nobody came up to me. Nobody called me. Nobody visits me. And, you know, I'm, I'm a sympathetic pastor. And so I'm, I'm so sorry, sister. I'm so sorry, brother. I'm so sorry. You know, I, I, but there's also a part of me that wants to say, and if I say this to you, tell, realize, you know, I don't hate you, I love you. But if, if I say, well, who did you talk to? Who did you call? Who did you visit? See, dear friends, we have to be careful because we're a close church, we're close knit. And you might be particularly close to the people that you sit around in your pew. And, and so you get a little sort of a click going there, and that's your little friend group. And then you don't look around. Dear ones, when, you, when, when we're called to love like God wants us to love, we're aware of everybody. We have radar going out. And I want to encourage you. If you see somebody standing alone, do you know how awkward it is to be in a church and stand alone? You know how you feel like a sore thumb while everybody's talking? Leave your friend group and go visit with that person. Just get to know them. Help them to feel just another human being standing next to them. Get to know people that you don't know. Enter into other people's lives. And people say, oh, Todd, you say this because you're outgoing and you're out, and that's easy for you. And you're right, it is easy for me. Well, people will say, well, that's not my personality. That's not who I am. And you know what I would say to that person? So what? Because there's aspects of the Christian duties that aren't my personality. One of them is be quiet, be still, and know that I'm God. I have to fight against my personality. Now, don't use this, this isn't my personality. I'm not an outgoing person. No, dear friend, that may not be your personality, but you're also not a very loving person. Because if you can see a need over there and you're not going to meet it, and you're going to make some excuse that it's your personality, I don't care if it's your personality. We're called to do things that go against our personality. Pray that God will give you such a concern for that person's well-being that you'll fight against your personality and you'll just go and say hello to them, get to know them, introduce yourself to them. And that's what the Bible calls us to do. Some of you might be saying at this point, man, I ain't even close. I am so off the radar. I am not even here. I am so unloving. I am lost. I need, I can't do this. Oh, man, I'm going to go to hell. Oh, gee, I am messed up. Oh, I can't believe this. Well, let me give you some good news. We love him because he loved us first. He loves you. He wants to transform you and change you. He's calling you to come to him. You come to me through Jesus Christ. I'll cleanse you, wash you, give you a new heart and, a new, and, and the Holy Spirit. I'll pour it into you. 
and I'll transform you into being a person of love. All we have to say, sir, we are God. Here we are. Take us. Transform me. Let's pray together. Father, help us, we pray. Bless and be with us that we could be people of love. And help us now as we come to this table and we think about and reflect and even in one sense hold the symbols of your great love for us, of a son sacrificed for us, of a savior dying for us. Help us to be overwhelmed by his love so that we will leave here and love others. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.